Well, I come with you today to the cross. Together we come to the cross of Jesus Christ for words of hope from the middle of history about a victory over all of history. We come to the cross in the middle of our own struggles to hear a word of victory over all struggle. Let's pull out our Bibles and turn to John chapter 19. Actually, two texts within John 19 that I'd like to read together aloud with you. Um, you'll find that on the Pew Bible at page 881 down there at the very bottom. John 19, verses 19 through 22. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read it aloud as a community. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. First, 19 to 22, and then secondly, 28 through 30. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew in Latin and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And let's jump down to verse 28. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. It is finished. Good words. Good words for Christ the King Sunday. Today, we finish the cycle of the church calendar. It'll begin again next week with the beginning of Advent. Advent, we celebrate the birth of Christ. And then Lent, we celebrate the death of Christ. And then Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And then Pentecost, we celebrate the pouring out of the Holy Spirit by Christ. All of that comes to a fulfillment, a climax today. Christ the King Sunday, that's today. Today we celebrate that the one who is born for us, died for us, rose for us, lives within us, and lives and sits on the throne of heaven to rule for us. That is good news, is it not? Today we celebrate all that and we say together, it is finished. Not long ago, a friend of mine shared a sermon with me by that title, It Is Finished. It really spoke to me. It really grabbed my heart and my attention. And I want to share a little bit of it, of it with you today. The sermon was preached by a man named Dr. Gardner C. Taylor. Uh, 1976, Dr. Taylor preached this sermon at a historically black college down in Texas. Time Magazine said that Gardner Taylor was the dean of the nation's black preachers. I don't think that says enough. 
He is the dean of all preachers, Gardner Taylor. He was a civil rights leader. He was the mentor to Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, He received in 2000 the Presidential Medal of Freedom, a great voice in our nation. And his preaching spoke to me about our mission, which is to join Jesus as we go next door. And what happens in his message is he, he engages as only the African-American tradition can do, preaching tradition. He engages our imaginations. And he doesn't just tell us about the text, but he puts us inside the text. He doesn't just tell us about Jesus, but he puts us in the place of Jesus. And he puts Jesus in your place and our place in the world. So in that sense, we're joining Jesus even as we engage with his message. Dr. Taylor's message spoke to me also about our moment. These last few years the struggle that we've been going through. And here's my takeaway from this message, that there are really two great declarations that you and I live our lives between. Two great declarations. On the one hand, I must, and on the other, it is finished. We we struggle in in that struggle. In fact, the, the struggle itself is defined by the space in between those two declarations. So as I say, I want to share something of this with you. I I can't preach his message. Boy, I sure wish that I could. For that, you'll have to go to YouTube, and I I recommend you do. But what I want to do is I want to invite you to engage your own imagination in my message. And here's what I'd like you to do. And you may even want to close your eyes just to begin with this. Would you picture the cross of Jesus Christ? Go ahead and imagine that. And, And then on the left side of the cross, would you imagine a dark garden? See it, see it with your eyes, a dark garden. On the other side, the right side of the cross, see a little house, a warm, brightly lit house. On the left side of the cross, in that garden, put the words, I must, okay? And then on the other side, in the house or just above the roof line, if you want, put the words, it is finished. Okay, now you can see my message. Let's get started on the left. What I want to say to you today is that on the, on the way to the cross, we hear Jesus speaking a solemn word. I must. I must. This is a translation of a little three-letter Greek word that always speaks of necessity, of duty, of obligation. I must. It is necessary. This little word comes up 42 times in the New Testament, so often on the lips of our Savior Jesus. I must, he says. It's as though his whole life is lived under the shadow of some distant divine necessity. It is necessary. We hear a solemn tone. Do we not hear that tone in a 12-year-old child separated from his parents when little Jesus says, did you not know that I must be about my father's interests. I must. Do we not hear that solemn urgency when he's an adult and he says, today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way. I must. Do we not hear a certain divine necessity throughout his whole ministry? Jesus says, I must work the works of him who sent me. He says, the son of man must undergo great suffering. He says, the son of man must be handed over to sinners. I must. Perhaps the brooding 
darkness on his brow can be seen and felt most clearly when he says in the dark of night with Nicodemus, this religious leader, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may, not have, may have eternal life. It is necessary. I must. It's as though he's approaching the end of his life from the very beginning. It's as though he faces this great and inevitable conflict, unseen to us, but very real to him. Where did Jesus get this sense? Did it come from his mother, to whom the angel spoke of one who would scatter the proud, one who would lift up the lowly in the conflict? Did it come from Simeon? Maybe his mother shared with young Jesus the words that were spoken over his life when he was brought to the temple for dedication. Simeon spoke of a sword that hangs over this child. I don't know. But somehow we see it in our Savior Jesus Christ. There is, Dr. Taylor tells us, a solemn note about human life. That's the first line of his sermon. There, there is a solemn note about human life. I, what I think he's talking about there is our lives. Not grim, not gloomy, but heavy. There's something heavy about our lives, about life itself. What I think he means is that you and I know what it is to say, I must, don't we? We know what it is to say that. You've lost your wife of 50 plus years and you're trying to muster the strength just to get up and face another day, I must. You're a single mother trying to care for an aging parent and a struggling child, I must. You're a student wearing of trying Again, one more time, after failing the test twice already, I must. You're lonely in your singleness or marriage and you don't know if you can be faithful. I must, you say. You're pushing for healthy growth in an otherwise dysfunctional family that resists every attempt. I must, you say. You're a leader striving for change and yet as soon as you rise up, something else rises up to oppose and you say, I must. You're an athlete in rehab, an addict in recovery, a patient on chemo, a survivor of divorce. I must, I must, I must. We know what it is to say, I must. Do we say it because the Son of God said it? I do not know. Or does the Son of God say it because we say it? I do not know. But I do know there is a solemn tone about human life. There is a divine necessity. It's all right to talk about the way things are, but we should talk, we think, about the way things ought to be. Do we not? Yes. Something must. I must. We must. And now here we come to the garden, dark and brambled. Can you see it? Help me now, close your eyes if you need to. See that garden and there is our savior on his knees. This is Gethsemane on the edge of the city. You and I have come now to the cross to eavesdrop on this twisting hour as our savior prays, Father, he prays, Father, let this cup pass. 
we understand this prayer, don't we? We all have our own cups, don't we? Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? We say it. Must I drink the cup the Father has given me? Must I? What noxious fumes, what bitter dregs, what pain and sorrow. But Father, hear him praying, not my will, but yours. I must. It's what we hear him say as we come together to the cross. It's a note of resolve, a note of courage, a note of sacrifice. I think it's a note of love. The good news is that the I must is not the last word over your life and mine. And that's good news because as other scriptures tell us, love is stronger than death. And so now we come to the right side of our image. Because those who come to the cross will hear Jesus speaking, yes, a solemn note, but they will also hear him speaking a triumphant word. It is finished. It is finished. Which begs the question, what? <laughs> what is finished? Right? Well, his pain, maybe so. His life, maybe so. He has every right to say what St. Paul says. He hopes he will one day be able to say, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. But no, I, I don't think that's it. That's part of it, but there's more. Clearly he's speaking of more. He must be speaking of his whole life and work, that burden of divine necessity that the Father has laid on his life, the work that the Father has given me, it is finished. It's a note of triumph. These are words from a great and terrible battlefield. The battlefield on which the contest of human freedom is waged. You see, Jesus is a warrior here. He's a warrior. He fights the battle promised to Eve that one day her seed, though bruised in his heel, would rise up to crush the head of the serpent. It's a battle. This is the battle that the Lord promises to Moses that there'll be a new exodus one day that will come through the blood of a firstborn and only son. I, the Lord, will fight for you, we hear. This is a battle promised for David that someday neither Goliath nor death would stand against the armies of heaven. This is the battle promised through Esther that genocide itself would be hung on its own gallows. On the cross we see Isaiah's word, the boots of trampling warriors and garments rolled in blood. It is finished. It is finished. He's won a great victory. These are words from the battlefield. And also, and also, these are words from a great and terrible altar. Because the blood rolled in those garments is his own blood. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Jesus is not just a warrior, he is also a sacrifice. Takes away the sin of the world. Sin. There's a word you don't hear very often, right? Dr. Gardner says, you're not gonna hear that word, sin, in the quote, fashionable drawing rooms of Manhattan and Brooklyn Heights. <laughs> and, I, and I'm here to say, I don't think you're gonna hear it very often in Laurelhurst or in the apartments of South Lake Union. We don't talk much today about sin, but sure do see its consequences, don't we? We see the consequences everywhere. We see the consequences of our sin on Aurora Avenue and University Way. We see the consequences of our sin in shell casings and blood scattered on the floor of our schools. We see the consequences in our children's eating disorders and compulsive gaming. We see it in rising tides and dying reefs. We see it in political violence, smashed storefronts and distant battlefields. Oh yes, there are consequences to sin. We see it and there is a cost. There is a debt that must be paid. It is finished. He's offered a great sacrifice. These are words from the altar. See, when we come to the cross, we get it a small glimpse into a deep mystery. At the cross, we peer into the heart of God. We see, if, if it's proper to speak of it, a, a great tension between his justice and his love. The cross tells you justice makes a demand on God's heart. God, when he sees wrongdoing, must say no. My goodness demands it. My holiness requires it. There is a price to be paid for injustice. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Someone will pay. The Bible says each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, someone will pay. When we look into the heart of God, we see the claim that justice has on his heart. But also coming to the cross, we have an opportunity to look into the heart of God and see that love makes a demand on God's heart. He may say no to wrongdoing, but he always says yes to the wrongdoer. Something in that heart makes a claim on God. I must embrace. Love demands it. Mercy requires it. The Lord says, can a woman forget her nursing child? I will not forget you. The Bible says he is bound to us with cords of love. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? And so the cross stands for justice, the divine no on all human sin. And the cross stands for love, the divine yes to all sinners come. Jesus himself says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. It is finished. Come on now. I have fought a great battle. It is finished. I have paid a great price. These are words from the battlefield. These are words from the altar. These are words of victory. Do you know your life is a gift? Every day of your life is a gift. It doesn't belong to you. 
It belongs to one who has fought for you and one who loves you. You belong to him. And is it not just possible that if there is from time to time, and maybe even today, a gloomy shadow that casts itself across your moment, that that only happens because there is a greater and brighter celestial beauty above and behind shining its way towards you. I come with you to the cross to hear a triumphant note. Here's how Dr. Taylor puts it. He says this, the most powerful coalition of evil ever assembled on the face of the earth came together at Calvary. The most powerful coalition of evil. He says they launched a siege against the Son of God that day. The watching earth grew sick. The world shivered on its axis. The sky grew grew dark and mourned. Someone pulled the curtains across the face of the sun. The heavens couldn't watch. The angels grew silent and it looked like God had lost. Oh, that mournful, awful, trembling cry rises up before us all. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But then a great and mighty shout. It is finished. And the light came back and the earth was righted and the graves were opened. It is finished. The old account has been settled. It is finished. The debt has been paid. It is finished. The disease is cured. Now, come on, if you want, you can help me with this. You know that, right? It is finished. The exile is over. It is finished. The prodigal is found. It is finished. Father, Father, I'm coming home. And now here we come to the house. Warm and bright. Do you see it there? Look at it. Father, the warrior's muscles untense. Father, he sets down his shield. Father, he unbuckles his breastplate. Father, he draws a linen across his bow. Father, the battle is won. Father, the yoke has been broken. Father, death has been defeated. Come on, help me. Father, hell has lost its grip. Father, evil is on the run. Father, every wrong will be made right. Father, I'm coming home. Get my room ready. I'm coming home. Get the angels singing. I'm coming home. Light the celestial city. I am coming home. It is finished. Oh my gosh. Dr. Taylor. When you sing those words, we sing with you. It's almost like I can see Jesus. It's almost like I can touch Jesus. Like I can join Jesus in that garden. Like I can join Jesus in that home. Thank you for your message. This is our king. This is Christ the king. And the invitation for me is to live my life between those two great declarations. They're like pillars. They they frame the space in which I now want to live the remainder of my life. And to do that, it calls me to two things. Let me just briefly share these with you. Number one, before I can say it is finished, I first have to say my I musts. Right? There's 
There's something you and I have to do. We must. I must care. I must carry on. I must follow. I must forgive. I must love. (laughs) I must face the darkness in my own life. I must push back against the darkness in the world. I must get up when I fall down, and I must help you get up when you do the same. And since the servant is not above the master, I must carry my own cross. I must die to myself. I must be willing to serve. I must endure suffering. I must find a way to play through my own pain. Before it is that I can say it is finished, I want to learn how to say I must. You see, that's the first thing. And and, and the converse is true also, the second thing, and this is even more important. I need to hear it is finished spoken over my life in order to find the motivation to say I must. You, You see what I'm saying? I mean, something happens in your life when you really, truly hear Jesus Christ, the King, say it is finished over your life. To be able to believe it and know it's true in your bones. You've got to hear that first before you can have the motivation to say, I must. You need to hear him say, I've won your battle, trust me. You are forgiven. You are sufficient. You are worthy. And nothing you must do can, you can do to make, there's nothing you must do to make me love you more. Nothing you can do to make me love you less. There's nothing the world can do to separate you from, the love, from my love or to defeat the plans that I have for you. Now you trust that. And when you trust that, when you really own that, you're gonna be able to let go of a lot. You're gonna be able to let go of the defensiveness, of the incessant need for validation, the, the fear of uncertainty or vulnerability. This gives you a new motivation. And what is that motivation? It's gratitude. It's thanksgiving. It's just, it's a heart full of thanks to the one who's done it all and won the victory and he's done it for us. That's a new motivation. I wanna give you my life, Lord. I wanna live up to who you say I am when you see me through your eyes of love. I, I, I must. You know, it seemed to work for Dr. Gardner C. Taylor. And if I can just say, I think the beauty and power of the African-American church for generations has showed us what it is to live between these two great declarations. I want to live there too. Dr. Gardner, Dr. Gardner C. Taylor, in his message, speaks of his own aging. He talks about the wrinkles of time being pressed into the flesh of his own body. He speaks of the mists of the Jordan River already spraying in his face. He's he's at the end of his life and he knows it. But he says, I'm not afraid to die. I, I number myself among those who face death, not with a sense of uncertainty, not with a sense of dread, but with a sense of eagerness. Father, I will someday say, he says, it is finished. Father, I will soon be able to say, I have fought the good fight. Father, he'll be able to say, I have finished the race. Father, put a light in the window for me. Father, put some familiar faces by the door so I'll feel at home. Father, 
I'm coming home. And at the age of 96, Dr. Taylor made it home at last. He died on April 5th, 2015. And you know what day that was? That was Easter Sunday. Classy move. <laughs> Finally, may I ask, is it finished for you? Is it finished for you? I've come to tell you today, it is. It is absolutely and completely finished for you. You can live your whole life confident in the sufficiency of God's grace. You can. But you, here's the thing. You have to know that for yourself. It's one thing for me to tell you. It's another thing for you to believe it and to live as, as though it were true. So today, if, if you're not sure that it is finished for you, I have an invitation for you. I'd like to take a few minutes with you today. I'm serious about this. Just a few minutes to talk with you and pray with you. I'm wondering if you'd give me that time. We're going to sing a closing song here. And as we do, we'll open these doors. And then across the lobby, there's some other open doors. And I'm going to invite you to come with me uh, into that other room across the lobby. I just want to talk with you briefly. I want to pray with you. I want to be able to send you some materials. Just take a few minutes of your time. So I'll walk up the aisle here just in a, in a moment and I would invite you to get up and, and join me. Uh, some of the pastors will be there with me. If you're online, you can participate in this too. We wanna talk with you. Come to upc.org slash Jesus and click the button that says yes to Jesus. Remember, I told you already, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means there's a price to be paid, a debt to be paid. But in the very same sentence, the Apostle Paul continues on. He says, there is, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our King. It's a free gift he comes to give. He's paid the wage for you, but you do have to receive the free gift. He says, it is finished precisely so that you don't have to think, I must pay my own debt. There are only two people who can pay your debt, you or Jesus. And the same is true for me as well. So friend, I invite you to say yes to Jesus. I invite you to believe that you were brought here today to hear this message. You're here by divine appointment that Jesus wants you to know his work on the cross is finished for you. That he's not just king over all, but that he's king for you and that you can trust him. So come to upc.org slash Jesus or walk up the aisle with me. Now, I know it takes some courage. <laughs> but listen, the moment you do, the battle has been won for you. The moment you do, your sin has been forgiven. The moment you do, he gives you his power for your struggle. He joins you in your struggle as you join him. And the moment you do, you will know that you have a home in heaven. So have courage. Uh, you may be a little shy. I'm shy. You may be a little self-conscious to get up in front of other people. But don't. Don't. We're going to do this together. We'll walk together. Everybody else is going to stand up. They're going to sing a song. They're not even going to notice you. And if they do, they're going to be noticing because they're praying for you because they want you to experience the abundant life just as we've come to experience it. So let's take a moment now. I'm going to invite everybody to stand. 
for our closing hymn. And those of you who want to say yes to Jesus or explore more, would you come, make your way, let, make, give, give people a chance, access the aisle. We're going to walk up and we'll just spend a, spend a few minutes in the Knox parlor back here, all right? Come with me.